Hello and welcome back to Impure Rethought. Uh, my name is Victoria, aka Vika, by friends, enemies of the cast, of which we now have two. We do, yes. And my name's Meg. Enemies of the cast may not speak to me. Which is good because they're both dead, but yeah, <laughs> true. What's our podcast about? Um, it is a podcast about the ways purity, patriarchy, and profit have shaped our culture. Yay! That's exactly Woo-hoo. what it's about. <laughs> Nailed it this all time. The time. <laughs> Has nothing to think about except thoughts. So, he loses touch with reality and lives in a world of illusions. Where did you get this pure thought and impure thought business? Who are you to decide what is pure and impure? This is the way life is made. There's nothing pure, there's nothing impure. Life is just the way it is. It's for you. A culture that is obsessed with and prioritizes a separation from and control of natural human desire. I am really excited to record our episode today mm-hmm. because this episode is on the topic of martyrdom. So before we dive into it, Meg, what are your general thoughts, feelings, experiences with martyrdom? Well, I feel like everyone kind of wants to be a martyr. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everyone necessarily, <laughs> but it's very much like an ideal for evangelical Christians, especially. Yeah. Something that was talked about a lot in church and in school and stuff. Yeah. I heard so many times the story of Columbine, which mm. I'm sure we'll probably talk about. Yep. And that girl that, you know, was like, they say, shot for professing her faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's like, um, it was always a kind of thought experiment of like, do you have that much faith that you would be willing to die for it? Mm. Literally, none of us are going to be in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> Odds <I> are. <laughs> but it's very much an ideal. So, yeah. yeah. So, before I want to, before we get into like the history of it, which is long, and I just want to say up front here that my primary source that I used is a book called Martyr's Mirror. Uh, I read a whole book for this episode. So, amazing. The dedication. <laughs> Uh, it's a book called Martyr's Mirror by Adrian Chastain Weiner. Weiner? I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, but that's what it is, and I got it from my library. Shout out to libraries. Yeah, I didn't like write down the exact page that I quoted for, but a lot of this research is from that, so I wanted to make sure that I quoted it right up front and let you know what uh, sources I'm using. Also... A general disclaimer, we are going to talk about the English Reformation today, and there are a lot of differences between the sects of Protestantism that I don't fully understand, so if I say something wrong, it's because I'm not a scholar of the English Reformation. <laughs> well, how dare you not have your PhD in this? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into it. Um, I have a pop quiz for you. Oh, yay. Do you know what the actual definition of a martyr is? <laughs> um, I thought so, but now that you're asking me, I'm like, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's probably close to what you think it is. Okay. I would guess just like someone who dies for a cause. 
Yeah, that's pretty close. So, like, the actual, like, Webster dictionary definition is a person who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce a religion, or, in a secular understanding, a person who sacrifices something of great value, and especially life itself, for the sake of principle. Mm. It comes from the Greek martyr, which means witness, and its first recorded use is before the 12th century. Now I have another pop quiz for you. <laughs> who, do, who is considered the first murder? Oh, wow. Um, wow, my lack of Bible knowledge at this point <laughs> is, like, really showing, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one of the Johns in the Bible or something like that. It's a solid guess anyway. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of those. There was a John that was martyred, and, and we'll go over it. But the first martyr, um, if we're not counting Jesus, is is traditionally considered to be Stephen, um, St. Stephen, mm. who was stoned to death by the Pharisees for criticizing Jewish judges at his trial. Ooh, okay. So um, St. Stephen was martyred for preaching that Jesus was the Son of God. The Bible has uh, multiple explicit references to martyrdom, but it's most notable in Hebrews 11, 35 to 38. Hebrews Mm. 11 is going to come up a couple of times. So I just want to read like this little part of this chapter. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. What what do you think of that? Those two verses, <laughs> three verses. I think those poor people. That sounds horrible. Yeah. And also, this is fully how like white American evangelicals see themselves right now. Yep. And I'm like, is it ri- like, are you living in caves? <laughs> um, no, you're living in big ranch houses in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is. There's a reason that white evangelical americans see themselves this way which we are gonna there? talk <laughs> I can't about wait to hear yeah i honestly found so much interesting research i cannot wait to share i have like a big plot twist that's gonna happen towards Ooh, the end amazing let's continue down history though so there are a few martyrs in the bible how many would you guess how many actual martyrs are in the bible i am including jesus i would guess Four? Because I can think of three right now. (laughs) That is actually exactly how many are in the Bible. Amazing. Nailed it. I knew it for sure. (laughs) I knew. (laughs) Um, So, and I'm talking specifically about named martyrs. There are people who are mentioned in the Bible who died for their faith, um, and the Catholics are really into that, apparently, Um, (laughs) which I encountered in my research, but I'm not Catholic, so I don't know. So there's Jesus, obviously. John the Baptist, who was executed by King Herod for criticizing Herod for divorcing his wife, St. Stephen, and James the Apostle, who was also executed by King Herod. Mm. Those are the only people that, like, I would classify... Oh my god, HelloFresh just sent me, like, seven emails. Sponsor us, HelloFresh. (laughs) Yeah, come on, do it. There are, like, other people that are mentioned who died in religious contexts, like, 
not other people that I would consider martyrs who specifically died for their faith other than these four people. Mm -hmm. So early Christians had something called the Age of Martyrdom, which lasted from about the 2nd to 4th century. Mm -hmm. In Mark 10, Jesus tells his followers, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. So the first Christians thought that this meant that dying for the faith guaranteed immediate passage to heaven where martyrs would sit on a throne next to God himself. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Early Christians buried their deceased loved ones near the graves of martyrs, hoping that they could somehow hitch a ride to paradise. Oh my god. (laughs) That is wild. Okay, fascinating. Yeah. um, Initial in... Making Animal Crossing noises over here. What if we recorded our whole podcast like that? <laughs> that would be incredible. We just post two hours of us going. Um, initially, there was no taboo against actively seeking martyrdom. And this shifted about a century or so later where Christian theologists began to consider people actively seeking execution more suicidal instead of martyrdom, which makes sense That makes to sense. Me. Yeah. Yeah. There is a Christian historian named Eusebius of Caesarea, um, and he is largely considered the first historian of martyrs, although not exclusively. His work Mm. covered the first century of Christianity. He himself was alive during the Diocletian persecution, which was a time of intense Christian persecution in the Roman Empire, and Eusebius appears to have been imprisoned, but then released, and then he just left. Oh, People kind of consider him persecuted, but not put to death or anything. Yeah. So the first age of martyrdom has been contested, but it could generally be interpreted from like the first century to the death of Constantine the Great in 337. Mm. Constantine the Great was a Roman emperor. I'm not talking about Constantine of Byzantium because mm. I got confused about that when I was researching. I was like, wasn't Constantine a Christian? Um, different <laughs> Constantine. Makes sense. So when would you guess that there are there are two big ages of martyrs, right? When would you guess that the second one was? Oh, wow. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how much do I really know about like ancient world history? Uh, I would guess like... It's not as ancient as you think it is. The 1700s is my guess. <laughs> um, you're, you're not that far <laughs> off, actually. Okay. So we, we're going to have to go all the way back. To Henry VIII. This man. Is that like 1500s? 1500s, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He opened up a whole can of worms, right? So the second age of martyrdom is traditionally what we call the Marian martyrs. So Mm. Marian martyrs, uh, this was from a period of about 1555 to 1558, about three years in the mid-1500s, were more than 300 men and women who were executed for heresy during the reign of Mary Tudor between February 4th, 1555 and mid-November 1558. Fun fact, this is where she gets the name Bloody Mary. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember being a child and being, you you know, the urban legend, like if you say Bloody Mary three times, she'll appear in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I was terrified that I would, I was like, if I even think Bloody Mary, like she'll <laughs> appear. And, and I had, when I was a kid, I used to wake up every single night and have to go to the bathroom. And there was a mirror at the end of this hallway. No. We lived in the mountains, you know, you know what it's like up there. Mm-hmm. So it was very dark. And I was just like, oh my God, she's in the mirror. Anyways, so Mary Tudor is Bloody Mary. Um, So... 
This was aggravated, of course, by King Henry VIII, who he... Henry VIII was a lifelong Catholic who had originally rejected Martin Luther's attacks on the papacy, but he tried to change the rules of of succession so he could sire a male heir. This is why he beheaded so many of his wives, because none of them could give him a son. And also, he was just like a a real piece of work, that Henry. (laughs) So after Henry VIII, um, in an extremely controversial move split from the catholic church to form the church of england so that he could divorce his wife england actually became a place of refuge for continental reformers so people who were criticizing the catholic church on the european continent um Mm. with martin Bucer and paul figius coming from strasbourg to take up posts at cambridge while pietro martiri vermidli who is also known as peter murder uh settled Mm. at oxford So before Mary's reign, um, martyrdom was really rare in England. Only two people were burned during the reign of Edward VI, who was Henry VIII's only son, for Anabaptism. And Anabaptism is a belief that has carried on to evangelicals today, where um, it purports that people can only be baptized when they choose it for themselves. Oh, okay. It's opposed to the baptism of infants. So it's Mm -hmm. real anti-catholic mm-hmm. when mary took the throne after edward died i want to say i am not a hundred percent sure on that because it was just a crazy time for succession after mary took the throne her original policy was for heretics to leave england but in november 1554 medieval laws were lifted by parliament which reinstated the burning of heretics so under henry well, this is Henry the Seventh, but I believe it was Henry the Eighth. Maybe it was Henry the Seventh. I don't know. About sixty-three <laughs> Protestants were executed, um, and under Mary, it was about three hundred. And if you like, just look up on Wikipedia Marian martyrs. Um, it will give you like a list of all of their names and their professions, and it was just a lot of like regular wow. people. It was like blacksmith and shoemaker. Then we get to a man named John Fox. Have you heard of him? Yes, I think so. It's Fox as in like F-A-W-K-E-S, right? Or something like that. F-O-X-E. Oh, nope. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. You're thinking of Guy Fox. Oh, yes, I am. (laughs) So no, I don't think I have. It's okay. There were a a lot of foxes at this time. (laughs) Many different. In the book that I read, there were like probably like five different people named John Fox, but they all spelled their names in different ways (laughs) at least they had the courtesy to spell them in different ways so you could that's very true tell them apart (laughs) but yeah that's a lot yeah john fox was an exiled protestant historian who spent mary tudor's reign in strasbourg um and he wrote a book called the act of monuments act is spelled a-c-t-e which is also called fox's book of martyrs this hmm. book of martyrs, I think, is what I would credit with starting the martyrdom craze in hmm. Protestants. So Fox and most Protestants in England and New England at the time heavily favored apocalypticism, a belief Ooh. that the true church was embroiled in an ongoing struggle against the Antichrist, a.k.a. the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> However, so there's a belief called millennialism which like came in and out of fashion in protestant sex millennialism as i understand it is the belief that the end times um are 
like far away um i could Mm. be wrong about that don't quote me i honestly had a hard time wrapping my head around it but like they kind of as i understood it from this book that i read millennialism like went in and out so basically people couldn't agree um when jesus was coming back so apocalypticism was basically like we don't know when he's coming back and the antichrist is trying to take over within that time like we are in the end times yeah and we need to struggle against the antichrist who most often was the roman catholic church but we'll get into some of the other ways that people considered things the antichrist (laughs) most notably many protestant sects considered other protestant sects also the antichrist (laughs) that tracks unfortunately (laughs) yeah there's a scene in um dairy girls where they have like a ukrainian student from chernobyl come to stay with him and she was like you just you guys just have different flavors of the same religion and i was like yep that's very true that show's so good it's great so fox john fox explicitly compared himself with eusebius He considered himself like a very influential historian. So the Book of Martyrs was written in the common language, which was really like rare for that time. And it was wildly popular. And I don't think I actually said what the Book of Martyrs was. It was a book that detailed the Marian martyrs. So everybody who was persecuted and burned under Queen Mary. Not like martyrs throughout history, just the Marian martyrs. People loved true crime even then. (laughs) was the original true crime podcast (laughs) yeah yeah and it was so popular that people made like miniature woodcuts of it and had like sort of collector's items out of it oh my god that's amazing yeah and it inspired like a lot of woodcut art and it was yeah it was crazy popular um about 20 percent of john fox's marian martyrs were women also which was Mm. something that was rare and like if you look at the list of marian martyrs on wikipedia or whatever like a lot of time it would be like wife of person who was Mm -hmm. burned but i don't know it It made people crazy. So (laughs) early modern Protestants believed that suffering could be holy, but only if motivated by right doctrine, which Hmm. influenced why they thought of each other as the Antichrist as well. I want to say the book that I read talked about separatists, Quakers, Baptists, and Puritans, maybe. Hmm. Protestants who had immigrated to New England heavily identified as persecuted slash martyrs, although they couldn't really boast any literal martyrs the only literal martyr they had was a salem minister who was put to death um for conspiring to kill charles the first after he returned to england so i don't know if you could really consider that a martyr that's just a crime it's just a regular crime persecution and martyrdom made up a large part of settler identity and then i want to read a quote from this book because i i felt that it was very poignant even when they envisioned themselves as a new israel it was often as israel suffering in the wilderness or under canaanite attack as an israel building a godly state Hmm. do you recognize the name cotton mather yes yeah from what oh my god from history classes i don't know i recognize it could i tell you anything about him i don't think so i want to say cotton mather was involved in the salem witch trials oh yeah okay definitely a mather i'm not sure if it was cotton mather but a mather was for sure involved in the salem witch trials yeah so cotton mather who was a guy in the massachusetts bay 
colony wrote his own book of martyrs in the 1700s called the magnolia christi americana and this book of martyrs recorded those who were driven out of england and into exile in america and it was directly inspired by john fox's book of martyr cotton mather was very dramatic about it considering (laughs) damages to reputation as bad as whippings and himself a kind of book martyr proclaiming reader i expect nothing but scourges from that generation to whom the mass book is dearer than the bible um what who does it sound like he's talking about to you the mass book yeah catholics (laughs) yeah okay So different sects of Protestants kind of knew from their own suffering that they were the true church. So there was like a competition to be like, who could suffer more? Um, And if I suffer more, that means that I am the true church and that my doctrine is actually the right one. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) This has like this is so familiar. Right. It's incredible the ways this has just carried through time. Isn't it? John Cotton, who was an influential minister, was confronted upon arriving in New England by a minister who was already there about fleeing persecution instead of facing death, to which his response was, to choose to bear witness to the truth by imprisonment rather than by banishment is indeed sometimes God's way. Interesting. (laughs) Hot take. For real. So even though um, martyrs were respected and uplifted, People weren't always very willing to be martyred, except (laughs) for some people that we're going to talk about right now. So there was a woman named Anne Hutchinson. She was arrested during the time of the Antinomian Controversy. Uh, The Antinomian Controversy was a time from 1636 to 1638 in the Massachusetts Bay Colony when people were debating the free grace theory. Do you know what the free grace theory is? Um, it sounds kind of Calvinist or something. I don't remember if it's Calvinist, but it is something that you definitely know what it is because it is the idea that anybody can achieve eternal life the very moment they accept Jesus into their hearts. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sound familiar? <laughs> yep, <laughs> sure does. Anne Hutchinson was very outspoken and she kept doing it like she was arrested multiple times. Um, <laughs> and she was arrested for something called plain speaking um which is kind of exactly what it sounds like like just being really direct and refusing to be polite oh wow during her trial she showed masterful biblical literacy which was incredibly frustrating to her prosecutors because they didn't know the bible as well as she did (laughs) she actually very explicitly identified herself with daniel in the lion's den And she was also very clearly inspired by Anne Askew, who was a Marian martyr executed for Anabaptist views. Mm. So martyrdom was actually an acceptable way for a woman to be bold, especially when it came to plain speaking. And we see like a few famous female martyrs um, go this way. We're going to talk about somebody else who I think you're going to get a real kick out of later. (laughs) But so New England Protestants had a social and economic majority, yet they accented and savored a minority status within their church and town and even glamorized abuse itself, which largely came from their own identification with persecution, even though they were no longer like literally being persecuted at this time, a century after the Marian martyrs. Mm. It was still a huge part of their identity and their culture. So Mary Dyer, another famous female martyr, was a woman who was sentenced to death for Quakerism in the mid-1600s, and she approached her execution quite literally joyfully. 
hand in hand with two Quaker men. Except at the very last minute, with the rope around her neck, she was about to be hung. Her son negotiated her out of being executed. She was so mad about it that she had to literally be dragged from the scaffold. What? She found she considered it a great disturbance to her peace. Oh my god. And Mary Dyer was specifically um, opposed to the exile of Quakers. I don't know like why the Massachusetts Bay Colony really had it in for Quakers, but they, they really did. So they had these laws that like Quakers had to be exiled and she like kept coming back and being like, stop exiling the Quakers. After sh- her execution was stopped, she went back a few years later to the Massachusetts Bay and asked the governor to repeal the law against Quakers again. And this time she really was executed and she was very happy about it. <laughs> Good for her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. She got her wish. <laughs> yeah. So... Then, I don't want to say this, but we have to. Oh, no. How do you think this whole idea of martyrdom and persecution related to the settlers' relations with indigenous people? Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. I, yeah, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess, like, indigenous populations fighting for their own land, I guess. Like, in any way, these Christian invaders would see as, like, persecution. Mm-hmm. To me, like, there was a lot in this book that I read about how the settlers considered, like, America the promised land and a new Israel. Mm-hmm. And you think mm-hmm. about what we're dealing with in Israel right now in that Mm -hmm. there were already people there yeah and it's there's a lot of parallels oh and i guess i also also should clarify that when i'm talking about israel and like whenever i mention israel here i'm mentioning it in the biblical context not as in like the current settler colonial state that is israel recognized by the united nations i'm talking about the bible talking about israel noted so there was a, a highly respected English writer, can't imagine why, Joseph Mead, uh, who had a truly mind-bogglingly racist theory that oh no. when the devil was ousted from Europe, Asia, and Africa during their Christianization, he had lured a group of people to America where he might continue his work unhindered. Mm. <laughs> Your face right now. <laughs> I hate it so much. (laughs) So there's a lot more racist stuff in his theory about how Native Americans were like quite literally Satan's colony and they were the Antichrist and must must be defeated. There's a lot of stuff about the Antichrist um, at this time. Oh, I'm sure. Always. This was actually in tension with a lot of Protestants' belief beliefs that um native americans were the lost tribes of israel and that kind of like went in and out of fashion but protestants Mm. by and large wanted to convert the native americans yeah which also didn't go super well weird (laughs) i wonder why (laughs) i can't imagine um there was a chapter in this book about um native american christians and native american martyrs but there wasn't like it just wasn't super relevant to the history of martyrdom as a whole Mm. but it's a short book so if anybody's interested in this subject i really recommend it i learned a lot it was very interesting so that's kind of like the overview of 
the history of martyrdom. And now I have another question for you. Uh, where, where do you think the idea of cheerful martyrdom came from? That people should be happy as they died? Huh. Um, well, I will say it doesn't surprise me that that one lady was Quaker. Because I <laughs> feel like Quakers were like often characterized at least as like very positive about their faith. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a doom and gloom faith for them. It was like a hopeful thing. Yeah. But cheerful martyrdom, I guess it's just like similar to the view that I hear a lot from like older evangelicals these days, which is mm. they're not afraid to die because they'll be in God's kingdom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they did they did what they were supposed to do. It's like the ultimate act of mm-hmm. faith. So like yeah. why wouldn't you be happy about it? Yeah. Exactly. So there are a couple of verses in the Bible that um coincide with what you were just saying. I just picked like mm. a few. There's a lot more than these. Um but I picked like some of the most relevant ones. The first one is 2 Timothy 3:12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, because the world is evil. <laughs> yep. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous- righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, I didn't write down which verse that is, but it's in there. <laughs> I believe you. It sounds yeah. like it's in there. Matthew twenty six thirty five. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same, except for very notably, one disciple did indeed deny Jesus and did not die Mm -hmm. with him. Um, So untrue. (laughs) I I don't remember who it is. I think it's Paul, right? Um, Yeah, he like denied him three times before the. Yeah. Before before the the, the rooster. Yeah. Whatever. I don't (laughs) know. Something like that. Yeah. However, the idea of noble death probably comes from somebody who lived far before Jesus. Ooh. Would you like to guess who it is? Um, long before Jesus. It's a very famous philosopher. Hmm. No, I would not like to guess who it is. (laughs) Okay, I'll just (laughs) tell you. It's Socrates. Oh, okay. Interesting. The template for noble death was the story of Socrates who lived from 469 to 399 BCE. And it was as related by Plato, who was his student. So Socrates had been put on trial in Athens for corrupting the youth and was condemned for execution. And despite plans by his friends, Socrates refused to flee Athens and, res- and accepted his fate. And he was sentenced to execution, but he did not do that. He drank hemlock. He drank poison. Um, and this demonstrated that he was in control of his own fate, not the Athenian Greek government. Interesting. Yeah, this is the sort of ideal of noble death that people, that has influenced a lot of Christian thinking today, which I think is really interesting that it came from somebody who was very much not Christian and lived before Jesus even. Yeah. Death is obviously something that continues to inform Christianity very much. Like it is at the core of the religion. Mm -hmm. And 
now Christian sects are concerned with the death of the body versus the death of the soul. And I read a really interesting article that said that modern medicine has had an influence on the way that we fear death today because dying has been delayed by modern technology and life expectancy is much longer. Some argue that instead of perceiving death as something natural, modern medicine treats it as something to be defeated and a personal failure. Hmm. You can actually see this in the sort of... I don't know what you call it, death industry today. Undertakers have become morticians and coffins have become caskets. Embalming has enjoyed a new vogue. Like, like I listened to a really interesting podcast about somebody who does, like, embalming makeup for hmm. people. And she was like, yeah, I want to make them look the best that they looked in their life. It sounds like they're trying to make them look as alive as possible, even though they're not. They're dead. Yeah. Was that the ologies episode about death? I think it was, yeah. That was a really good episode. Yeah, that was a very good episode. Drive-in cemeteries have appeared for those seeking to reconcile devotion to the dead with other pressing engagements. (laughs) They've also started to cryogenically store corpses um, to preserve the deceased in a form amenable to any future therapies that science may devise, which is crazy. And I'm sure you can't do that unless you have bajillion dollars, but... Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it? Have you watched um, Upload? No. Have you seen that? Or heard of it? No. What's it about? It's like set in the near-ish future Uh and people can upload their consciousness to like a network basically and like live there after they die. Oh, what? And so obviously the richest of the rich they're in like a resort to like enjoy the rest of their consciousness which is just forever and then in that same resort thing poor people are paying like per gigabyte oh wow um and so they like run out of storage basically or like run out of data a few days into the month so they just kind mm. of freeze mm. but yeah like That's people can go visit you it's super interesting it's mostly a comedy. It gets a little dark, but oh, it's good. Highly recommend. Okay, I'll check it out. Personally, I would just die, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so while the idea of suffering for and being persecuted for faith persists in Christian, Christian communities, there is far less threat of actual death or even capital loss today. So it seems like what being a martyr is for Christians today means giving up pleasure or a sinful lifestyle. Hmm. When Christianity shifted to the majority religion, Jewish people became heavily persecuted by Christians, which mm-hmm. I think is something that we still don't talk about. Yeah. And now... Now we get to my plot twist. So I'm going to read a quote to you first, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, wait. I'm going to read a quote to you first, then I'm going to give you a little bit more context, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, sounds good. Modern concepts of martyrdom include what are known as secular martyrs, or people who are willing to die for a social or political cause. Examples of modern martyrs include Abraham Religion, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King Jr., Soldiers' funerals are done in accordance with martyrs' funerals, as they gave their lives for God and country. Other world religions have a similar concept, where victims of cultural or government persecution are understood as martyrs. Um, quick question. You said Abraham religion? Did you mean Abraham Lincoln? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even notice. Yes, I did mean Abraham Lincoln. Okay, great. (laughs) I figured that I was like, Abraham religion, I haven't heard of that guy. (laughs) 
And then you listed like other people I definitely heard of, and I was like, okay, I think (laughs) I think Lincoln. (laughs) Anyway, wow, what a Freudian slip. Um, Yeah, I definitely meant Abraham Lincoln. Although now I have to invent a guy named Abraham Religion. Write a book about him. I can't wait. (laughs) So. Were there ever non-Christian martyrs? The answer is like, yeah, kind of, but they're nowhere near as well documented as Christian martyrs, and martyrdom doesn't seem to be like as huge of a cornerstone of other faiths. I would say the one exception would be the Islamic concept of jihad, which is like only martyrdom in its most extreme forms of like terrorism, basically. Mm, Interesting. To be clear, jihad, like, does not mean terrorism like jihad is a kind of like a bad word to evangelical christians today but like it is nowhere near what people think it is it just kind of means like the struggle of islam to be like a religion present in the world much like Hmm. christianity considers its own struggle Uh uh-huh indeed and jihad like also has an internal meaning so like the struggle to live a an uh like holy muslim life and then to live a Holy Muslim life as a community. Hi, Dimitri. He's here. Okay, now, now's my plot twist. What do you think American civil religion means? Ooh, whoa! I've never heard that term. Mm-hmm. American civil religion. Wow, I feel like this takes an understanding of the definition of civil that I simply don't have, <laughs> which I'm realizing for the first time in this moment. I mean, civil generally, you think of, like, civilized, like, respectful, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. not chaotic. So civil religion would just kind of be, like, I don't know, I guess, a quieter, like, less offensive version of religion. Mm. I don't know. Okay, so I stumbled upon this term randomly when I was actually looking at Marian martyrs and Mm. I don't remember like it was like highlighted in blue on a Wikipedia page or something and I clicked on it and I was like (gasps) so I will tell you now what's what American civil religion is so civil religion in America is an essay published by sociologist Robert and Bella I want to say in 1968 um somewhere around there, which claims that there is a non-sectarian, quasi-religious American faith which is separate to the church, which uses national historical symbols as religious imagery. So I will refine that a little bit. That's like a very broad definition. This essay, I'm just like going to go through the highlights, but it is up for free on his website, and I really recommend that anybody read it. Like, it was incredibly fascinating. Um, It was obviously published in the mid-20th century, so it uses a lot of, like, that rhetoric, but I think it is, like, it was influential, and you can tell why. So, Robert Bella argues that the words and acts of the founding fathers, in particular the first few presidents, set the tone for the civil religion which would endure in the nation to follow. The Mm. The religion borrows a lot from Christianity, but is itself clearly not Christianity. Hmm. I'm going to read two quotes. For one thing, neither Washington nor Adams nor Jefferson mentions Christ in his inaugural address, nor do any of the subsequent presidents, although not one of them fails to mention God. Hmm. Isn't Dwight Eisenhower reported to have said, Our government makes no sense unless it is founded in a deeply felt religious faith, and I don't care what it is. And isn't that a complete negation of any real religion? End quote. 
So hmm. he also argues that in accordance with early Protestant understanding that Europe was to be considered Egypt and America the Promised Land, a.k.a. the New Israel, the holy mission here is to establish a new social order that shall be a light unto all the nations. So he considers the revolution the first defining event of American civil religion. The second defining event is the um, Civil War, which entered a new theme of death, sacrifice, and rebirth, which is symbolized in Lincoln's life and subsequent assassination. He calls the Gettysburg Address part of the Lincolnian New Testament. Whoa. Yeah, very, very much relates Lincoln to Jesus as a martyred president, which is interesting because Lincoln was assassinated. But... um, um, anyways, he yeah. also considers JFK a martyred president. Memorial Day became a celebration of martyrs. Now I'm going to read a, a bit of a longer quote from this essay. Quote, the Memorial Day observance, especially in the towns and smaller cities of America, is a major event for the whole community involving a rededication to the martyred dead, to the spirit of sacrifice, and to the American vision. Just as Thanksgiving Day, which incidentally was securely institutionalized as an annual national holiday only under the presidency of Lincoln, serves to integrate the family into the civil religion, so Memorial Day has acted to integrate the local community into the national cult. Together with the less overtly religious Fourth of July and the more minor celebrations of Veterans Day and the birthdays of Washington and Lincoln, these two holidays provide an annual ritual calendar for the civil religion. The public school system serves as a particularly important context for the cultic celebration of the civil rituals. Wow. This essay... Do you, sorry, you have something to say? Oh, I just think that's a wild quote. And also... Isn't it? Yeah, I've actually, like... I mean, we just... Memorial Day, like, just recently happened, so I've yeah. been thinking about it lately. And how interesting it is, I guess, that that we celebrate it. It's, like, to me, much less an actual honoring of those who like died in service to our country than like just a kickoff of summer you know very much yeah so it's just like we have that and then labor day to close out the summer you know and they're just like markers of like we're all on break now kind of thing (laughs) yeah less than like yeah i guess they've just lost a lot of meaning but anyway yeah not really on topic but memorial day like became a holiday after the civil war which like i think was the last time that we saw kind of mass bloodshed and population loss on american soil so i think it's just like we've just become really disconnected from it so robert bella's essay also very explicitly condemns the idea of spreading democracy as like in foreign countries and he argues that it is in fact the civil, reli- the civil religion wants to assimilate all governments in the world to support United States politics and divides them between on our side and not. Hmm. Here's another quote. Sorry, I'm quoting a lot from this article, but it was just really good. Yeah, <laughs> no, it sounds amazing. Quote, a repressive and unstable military dictatorship in South Vietnam becomes the free people of South Vietnam and their government. It is then part of the role of America as the new Jerusalem and the last best hope of Earth to defend such governments with treasure and eventually with blood. When our soldiers are actually dying, it becomes possible to consecrate the struggle further by invoking the great theme of sacrifice. For the majority of the American people who are, un- who are unable to judge whether the people in South Vietnam or wherever are free like us, such arguments are convincing, end quote. Um, so he concludes in this essay that American civil religion is indeed a religion, um, but like other religions, it is capable of growth and new insight. It does not have to be relegated to 
its old ways, which I don't know that I fully agree with, but it was 1968, so I will, yeah. I'll give him that. <laughs> so before we move on, thoughts? <laughs> um, This was like mind-blowing so to me. Yeah, because I had never heard of this concept of civil religion before. But yeah. like, if I could, if I could like put it in layman's terms, I would basically say it's the idea that there's a religion which like revolves around American symbols as like Christ-like figures and like the Constitution as the Bible, and the religion is the worship of the state. Yeah, it's it is mind-blowing. I'm still like taking it in. I think, but um, yeah, it explains a lot of I guess. The argument of, like, Christian patriots today Mm -hmm. is that, like, we were founded as a Christian nation. Yeah. And, like, nominally, sort of, yeah. Kind of. But in practice, yes, like, kind of. We were founded on the, like, separation of church and state, like, was very much a thing. Like, Yeah, it was. And they made that very clear in, like, our founding documents. But I think that this explains that divide Mm -hmm. and like disconnect because our country does feel very religious and like yeah but not christian not quite christian yeah and i think that what is so scary today is that and i i mean frankly you know obviously i'm not an american scholar either so i might be (laughs) off in this and like just this is coming from my like 21st century perspective (laughs) but What's scary today is that, like, Christianity and civil religion are, like, melding in America. And the people that would before have, like, been, like, aggressively into, like, civil religion. I don't know how. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, they're now using, like, Christianity as their reasoning for that. Yeah. Excellent segue into my next point perfect i hope you put it better than i did (laughs) so this is from a great article on vox about civil religion today which talks about the insurrection on january 6th and yeah that's exactly what i was thinking of and Uh, that's like very much in because the hearings are happening now and like yeah yeah And the way that the invasion of the U.S. Capitol has complicated the idea of civil religion today Mm. because they, the insurrectors, what are they called? Invaders? I don't know what you call them. The people who invaded the Insurrectionists. Insurrectionists, yeah. (laughs) Claimed it as our house and they, a lot of them said that they were led by their Christian beliefs, um, even as members of the Capitol Police warned that they were violating a sacred space, which is really interesting to talk about the Capitol as a sacred space. Yeah. um, Rather than just, like, a place where laws are made. I think, like, just as an anecdote, like, I think that this really relates to the way that um, the English government has functioned with, like, God and the monarchy. Mm. To me, it feels almost like a bastardization of the English function. That's just like theory. I have no evidence to back that up at all. <laughs> but but it feels like it feels very sort of English inspired, but in I mean, a different yeah, way. It, yeah. It is. It's like a derivation of the English government because yeah. that's where like our founders came from. Mm-hmm. And that's when our country was like formed and our government was formed. Very true. 
So one of the insurrection leaders actually called on his fellow protesters to join him in prayer and invoked Jesus' name. Yep. And this has actually triggered a real backlash against religious nationalism, the sort of widespread publicity of the insurrection and how unpopular it is. In this article, they spoke to a guy named Mike Wernz, I want to say is his name, who is a religious studies professor at Columbia. I think Hmm. it's in the article if you want to read it. Um, But he said that he actually fears that the notion of a civil religion for the country may suffer as a result, which I think that it was interesting that he doesn't think that civil religion is necessarily a bad thing, arguing that some of the most eloquent apostles of the American idea, such as the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., spoke from a Christian tradition. Then the end of this article kind of says that the insurrection has the potential to hinder a development of civil religion. Um, and they hmm. talked to a group of Boy Scouts. So Boy Scouts have to earn something called their Citizenship in the Nation Merit Badge. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, which makes sense. Like when you think about the Boy Scouts as an organization, a deeply mm-hmm. religious organization. Yeah. But they talked to these scouts in a park in Virginia and they said that they agreed among themselves that the work to put the American idea into practice is an ongoing process. And the Boy Scouts said that they're kind of getting closer to reaching the American dream and that from going from the American Revolution to the Civil War to the Cold War and now having discussions about race and LGBTQ rights, um, they're working to get closer to the American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was an interesting position to take on the civil religion to me. Yeah. So now we're going to move along to Columbine. Uh. Yeah, we gotta talk about it. You were correct in that Columbine would come up. So, some American Protestants have established a cult of martyrdom around Cassie Bernal, a high school student who was killed in the Columbine massacre. You're Wrong About has a great episode on this that I think people should definitely listen to. I second that. It's super good. One of their, like, first episodes. Early reports suggested that a shooter asked Bernal whether she was Christian, then killed her when she answered, yes, I believe. So that is heavily disputed and is probably not true. But there's like, oh my god, churches love this story. They They are obsessed with it. Youth groups, like Bible classes. Yeah. Have you ever seen like a Columbine reenactment? Oh my god. (laughs) Um, I've seen videos of them. Yeah, I think I've probably seen videos of them, but in person no but i imagine that was huge like shortly after Mm -hmm. i mean a few years after hopefully like giving it a little time but well we'll talk about it we'll talk about yeah oh i'm sure we will so in the church reenactments of it they end with bernal's ascension to heaven um so cassie bernal is like considered a modern martyr because the name of the book she said yes which was written by her mother So, disputed whether Cassie Bernal was actually a Christian or not. Rachel Scott was another student killed in Columbine. Have you ever heard her name? Um, only from the You're Wrong About episode, I think. Okay, yeah. So, Rachel Scott actually had written in journals that, uh, which were shared by her mother, that she would sacrifice everything for Jesus. Like, I've never heard of her at all. Yeah, I hadn't either. I was reading about when I read about it, I think Rachel Scott's mom had said that like she had been uh friendly with one of the um killers who 
would make fun of her for her beliefs in Jesus, but she was really devout about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Both Cassie and Rachel's parents wrote like multiple books about them. There have been multiple movies and pop culture adaptations have been made of Cassie's story in particular, which like, I don't know. I'm not like, yes. Yeah. Should we make a movie adaptation about you? Definitely. I would watch that. Same. Just him screaming the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I like, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna judge anybody for grieving their child. I just thought it was interesting that they both wrote, like, multiple books about the situation. Yeah. Like, you know, grieve how you want to grieve. It, it just struck me as, like, a contribution to the cult of martyrdom. And I don't think that was the intention at all, like, yeah. for a grieving parent. But the fact that it was, like, has just been told so much... And I think Columbine in particular, like, gave modern Christians this idea that, like, they were going to be killed for their faith. Mm-hmm. However, it was likely not Cassie who said that she believed in God at all. Per, like, witness accounts, uh, the killer, I think it was Jared, said peekaboo to Cassie and then killed her when he found her hiding under a table, which is so much scarier. It's so scary. Yeah. There was another girl in the library, Val Schnur, who told the killer that she believed in God before he shot her, but she survived. Val Schnur, notably, is a Catholic, which I feel like that's all related. I don't know how, Um, but it does all seem related to me. Christian teens in the 90s and early 2000s after Columbine began to see martyrdom as aspirational, which was in large part due to an album by a Christian band called DC Talk, which did everything from like rap to Christian rock. And they followed this album in 1999, which was the year of Columbine, by a book called Jesus Freaks, Stories of Those Who Stood for Jesus, The Ultimate Jesus Freaks, a book co-authored by DC Talk and the advocacy advocacy group the voice of the martyrs which when i was doing my research for this episode um the voice of the martyrs came up and they had some wild statistics on their website i bet something like 300 million christians are persecuted for their beliefs every year and i was like how do you measure that where are the sources (laughs) yeah um is that i have no idea like where the phrase jesus freaks originated but is that the first popularization of it i have genuinely no idea okay i wish i could tell you yeah but probably not because i imagine that like this was a response to being called the jesus freak yeah but i don't know so moving towards the end here Christianity has always maintained a strong tradition of respect for martyrdom, which was derived both from the New Testament and from histories by Eusebius and others um, who just kind of documented men and women who had willingly sacrificed their lives. Uh, My bullet point here is just why do Christians love martyrs so much? And I'd like (laughs) to be clear that the thing I just read was a quote from Martyr's Mirror, um, but this is like this is my conclusion. This isn't like um, academic research or anything. I think that Christians, so the reason that I was thinking about this and wanted to do this episode, because we originally had a different one planned to record today, but I was like, hey, can I actually do something on martyrdom? Yeah, we both changed our minds and (laughs) our new topics went great together. So yeah, they really did. Um, I was thinking about the string of recent shootings that we've had here in the U.S. And I was thinking about um, Sandy Hook and, like, how 
something so violent and like I would say unforgivable can happen and nothing can be done about it and it's just accepted as like part of life and Mm -hmm. it got me thinking about um Columbine and about why we seem to uplift people who are killed unwillingly in the modern day um Mm. especially young people um yeah whether they are college students or high school students or literal elementary school children like those in Uvalde so I just wanted to look at the history of it and to examine where this came from and the idea of like civil religion and how that relates to our understanding of martyrdom today which I would say that civil religion really made me think about like the right to bear arms in the constitution and understanding that as something that is key to sort of the right wing's understanding of civil religion and like I don't think that civil religion is something that people are super aware of no but it's something that we're all very influenced by and that like I would argue that a lot of sort of christian right-wingers their religion is the civil religion of america rather than actual christianity um and that's like where a lot of our lawmakers seem to be coming from um so that's why i was thinking about it and why i wanted to do this episode and i think like there's a reason that we seem to specifically uplift young and child martyrs because their souls are still pure so they're sort of fast-tracked to heaven like there's this idea that if you are a child that like you've never done anything wrong so you'll just go straight to heaven like you don't have to ask for forgiveness which is something Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily consider in adults um and martyrdom is also like inherently tied to christian identity and in particular new english identity and like it's just so tied to like the massachusetts bay colony and the origins of the united states as a country and then when i was googling this to to find like sources about martyrdom today i found truly so many so many websites that seemed like they were written by my grandpa (laughs) oh no And I would like to read a quote from one of these to you. Ooh, yes, please do. Which was, I also texted you the title of an article called All Christians Are Slaves. Yeah. This this is from that same website. All right. In the 20th century AD, there were more Christians killed because of their faith in the Jewish Messiah than in all the centuries of Christian persecution combined. 65% of all Christians who have ever been persecuted or martyred lived in the years from 1900 to 2000. Sources? (laughs) This is from a website called earlychurchhistory.org, which is an interesting title because that is neither true nor early church history and really just goes to show that anybody can make up a statistic. Genuinely. And to me, this (laughs) seems like a very poignant sort of display of the idea that Christians have of themselves as martyrs despite being socially and culturally dominant. Yeah. Truly wild. <laughs> there were no sources. Yeah. Uh, I was like, link me to the Pew Research Study, please. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I, sorry. No, go ahead. I was thinking about, like, 
you said that the more someone is persecuted for their Christian faith, like the more true it is or something like that. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. And I just really wonder like how, <laughs> how like people reconcile that view with like other religions being persecuted for their faith. I truly, (laughs) like, I think, I think it has to do with kind of Christian's understanding of persecution, like modern persecution. I don't, I don't think that Christians today understand what persecution is. Yeah. Especially not Christians in the United States. Yeah. And I would, I guess, like, I would argue that they view other persecution as holy and, like, because the other religions are wrong because they are the true religion and i don't like shit right there yeah for real and i think that i think that christians understand their persecution as kind of like people saying mean things about them online sometimes Mm -hmm. um in the modern day or like losing a cultural monopoly which they feel is their god-given right because they're endeavoring to make a godly society where like i don't think I personally don't think that God has any place in society. I don't think that is, like, I don't think a functioning society has anything to do with religion. But that's just me. Yeah, not the not the government, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like, there are evolutionary and biological facts which have nothing to do with religion about how humans socialize as a primate group who yeah. care for each other. But whatever. Yeah. Um, and and orangutans don't believe in Jesus and they're doing fine. So <laughs> they are doing fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I mean, this is like going off on a whole other tangent, but that's OK. I love tangents. I feel like, Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast about tangents. <laughs> um, <For real. laughs> I feel like, I don't know, religion can be a very, very comforting thing and it can mm-hmm. bring a lot of like joy and community to people's lives yeah and i think in its purest form it's like harmless in that yeah. way but it's when it's when it encroaches on government when it encroaches on like your views of other people yeah or your treatment of other people more importantly yeah that's when it gets highly problematic i'll say yeah that was like a huge part of my deconstruction was recognizing how much organized religion had been used as a tool of power and control mm-hmm. rather than a genuine community and i think like this is something else that comes back to the idea of civil religion um yeah. because like it's so in it's in such discord with the bible and the actual mm-hmm. like text of how jesus lived and what he did in the bible yeah and it's a lot of cherry picking to like of the bible verses that support the idea of civil religion rather Mm -hmm. than the actual bible (laughs) and they're just taken out of context and translated every which way so yeah i totally agree with you yeah i guess the disconnect comes from like i don't know when i was very involved in the church like my experience of it was very different from I guess how it, well, now that I have a term for it, very different from, like, civil religion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is the religion of power that's yeah. now melding with Christianity, you know, and getting all complicated. But I think that, by and large, 
like the Christians in this country are experiencing a very different religion than Mm -hmm. the one that's like really scary and like powerful right now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because you go to church weekly, like all your friends are at church, like you get childcare from church. Like it is, it should be a really good positive thing. Yeah. And it is for some people, a lot of people, but it's the power grabs that are so (laughs) scary. Very much. Very much so. Um, So as for what we can do about it, I wrote down that we should make efforts to think about persecution and who's actually being persecuted, uh, which means legal punishment, loss of life, or capital loss. So there are a couple of things that I found. um, Factcheck.org which we actually have in the sources for your episode that went up today, One Nation Under God, um, is a great source that you should use. I found a... Okay, so this is a little bit of a caveat. I didn't put this in here because I found a PDF of, like, anti-Semitic dog whistles um, and conspiracy theories by the American Mm. Jewish Committee, but they're very Zionist, so, like, they were very pro-Israel. So I think, like, everything else, I read the whole thing and everything in it other than that I found very useful, so I didn't put it in here because I want to make it, like, clear that we're not a Zionist podcast, (laughs) but that's just a source if you want it like I figured that I would mention it but I wouldn't link people to it it's a pdf that you can download and if there are any other sources please let us know I didn't find anything else that was as reputable I would have put it in there like I I found like a lot of blog posts and I just was like I want something a little more researched than this yeah I did find a website called islamophobia.org which Hmm. has a lot of action that you can take both as a Muslim in your community and as a Muslim ally for things that you can do and how to educate yourself against Islamophobia and like um, politicians who have expressed Islamophobic views and or and have donated to Islamophobic organizations. So I'd recommend people to check that out. I have an article here about the origins of QAnon. Ooh, scary. Yeah, which I recommend people look into because it is more ubiquitous than you realize and then also i have that we can read up on neo-nazi identifiers because they have become much more they've become a lot craftier in recent years is what i'll say yeah and this is from another great um resource that i found called the southern poverty law center which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to fighting hate groups so Mm. i would say like what can we do about it? Um, think about like what's a hate group and what's a hate crime and who actually has the social and cultural dominance and like what actually entails persecution. Like I would, I would say by and large, a lot of the people that have been persecuted in our modern society are black men. Like, yeah. So I think that they're, I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like, I don't know what we can really do about martyrdom except like be more aware of it but I think that's a good place to start it's tricky when we get into these like concepts yeah (laughs) it's like what do we do about this concept yeah this history lesson yeah I think a good place to because we are kind of living in a um, politically volatile time (laughs) where we're seeing the rise of a lot of like hate groups and resurgence of like 
incels and neo-nazis and 4chan people yeah like just being aware of it and so you so you don't get sucked into the conspiracy theory and potentially storm the u.s capitol is a good place to begin (laughs) yep (laughs) definitely that's the end of my whole episode that was amazing that was (laughs) so so good i learned so much Oh my god, yeah, martyrdom is such a huge topic. I didn't even, like, I honestly didn't even scratch the surface. There was so much more that I could have talked I'm about. I'm sure, yeah. I had, like, I had um, tabs in the book that I was reading, and, like, I, I sent you a picture. I had probably, like, 25 of them, and this is a short yeah. book. Like, it's, like, 150 pages or something. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, that could be useful, that could be useful. Like, yeah, it was... There, there are a lot of people that have done a lot of, like, actual academic work on this. I just gave you a very broad overview, but I'm glad you learned stuff. Yeah, so much. That was yeah. amazing. And the, um, yeah, the civil religion thing, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. I know, right? <laughs> that was like, I, I had to bite my tongue so hard not to text you about that because I, I came across that in, like, the second day of my research or something, so we still oh, had, like, no. a week left before recording. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. I think I texted four other people about it because I was like, I can't tell this to Meg, but I need to talk about it. I know. It's so hard not to talk about our research with each other ahead of time. It's I like, know. you're my favorite person to talk to about these <laughs> I things. I know. <laughs> which is why we started a podcast, but, like... <laughs> but now it's like, we have to wait. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's annoying. Um, cool. Oh, you know what has happened to our podcast this week, Meg? <gasps> what has happened to our podcast this week, Vika? We have fifty followers now. Woohoo! Yay! Which we is did it. Well, you guys very did it. exciting. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we also got a really nice review yesterday, so thank you yeah, for that. And- I don't recognize that person, so I think it's due. Uh, no. <laughs> also, I'm sorry. Duncan was whistling, and I had to just shush him. So if you heard whistling, <laughs> that's what it was. That's okay. Um, yeah, I didn't recognize them. So exciting! Yeah, Thank you, stranger. stranger. Thank you. Um, we will be doing a special fun episode to celebrate 50 followers. So. Um, if you have some hot takes on worship music apropos of nothing you can send them to impurethought at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram and twitter at impurethought or you can join the discord server to come chat link will be in the show notes anything else i think that's it all right may May your your thoughts thoughts stay stay dirty. dirty bye bye